good afternoon, everybody. I think we're having a few little technical difficulties, um, but that's all right. We're going to get started. On, my man. name is Meredith. Good afternoon. Um, my husband, Claude, and I are the lead pastors of this wonderful church. And I just have this feeling today of like, can we just take a second <laughs> and take it all in? Enjoy the fact that we're together. I know many of us parents are coming off the end of a break and a lot of craziness. I'm sure many of our families, I know many of our families are still on break. So I should say welcome to any of you joining us later on in the week, whether it's because you're doing something for break or just because you're online today or the weather got here or whatever. Um, but yeah, isn't it good to be in God's house? We um, you know, love to talk about community and being together and we get to be together today. So whatever you've walked in with, you just kind of take a deep breath. And realize you're in a safe space. The presence of God is here. People that love you are here. And so we're going to have a great afternoon together. Um, I just want to welcome, like I already said, everyone in the room, anyone joining us online later in the week. Um, I'm just going to talk through some information for all of us that are here today in the room, for those of you that are online. Um, some of these things may not apply, but you can connect on our website for anything that doesn't. Um, I want to welcome any guests that are in the room today. We know that um, visiting a church for the first time can be a little bit intimidating. So any way that we can serve you, we would, are happy to do so. Um, we'd love for you to share your information with us, not so we can hunt you down and stalk you. We won't be weird about it, um, but just so we can follow up and get feedback from you. Um, we'd love to get anybody's information. You might have been coming here for years, although we're a very young church. So no, I'm saying years. We're only three years old, but you might have been coming since the beginning, and maybe we don't have your information, and uh, we would love to have it so we can keep you in the loop. There are some things coming up that we'll be sending some emails uh, about for those of you that, that are in that loop, you can testify to the fact that we don't overload you guys um, with emails or anything like that. Uh, just a way to stay connected. Um, some ways you can share your information, though, uh, there are info cards in the back and at the info center uh, out there. You can do that. Um, you can also use an app. It's called the YouVersion app or the Bible app. There's instructions on the screen about how to download that and use that. Um, there are lots of fun ways that you can use the app, whether it's to take notes or um, follow along with the message, that sort of thing. You can also give on the app if you feel led to do that. If you want to give in any other way, there's an offering box in the back. You can also give on our website on the Give tab. That would be great. Um, but if any of, you, any of you here have questions, ideas, uh, feedback, if you need prayer, if you just want to reach out for any reason, the best way to connect with us would be connect at Centerway church.com and we do check that email throughout the week and we would love to get back to you. Um, some other ways that you can connect, connect and engage kind of on your own. Um, if there's anything you want to do, you can uh, download wallpapers for your desktop or your device, your phone. Um, so you can be reminded of the application question, which we leave with every week so we can apply the text. We also have a Spotify playlist. And the unique thing about today is that it's the last day of our essential series. We've been going through the first two books of Ephesians, talking about some things that are essential. And it's so good excited about this series, um, ending today talking about community, but also sad to see it go. We are going to continue in Ephesians next week, but it's going to be a brand new series. And so if you have liked any of the music that we've done, we've done, um, I think several new songs, a couple new songs, this series, that Spotify playlist will continue to live on Spotify under Essential, and then we'll start a new one for next week. So it's just a good way to remind yourself of some of the truths that we have sung about together. Um, you can also connect with us on social media, and we have Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that our team creates, and they are incredible, and they take you deeper into the text, and that is a good time. You can um, subscribe to those if you want, or you can also find them on our website uh, on the messages page. And there's another tab on our website, the next steps page, and there are ways on there to serve. I would encourage you to serve. It's such a good way to connect with people. It's also a really fun, good way to uh, use those kind of spiritual gifts that God's given you. You can get spiritually coached, water baptized. You can become a centerway steward. There's all that information on our website. And at the Next Steps table, you can find out more. I think uh, I think Claude will be out there at the end um, today. So I want to give you everyone that's in circles a reminder that we will be gathering this Thursday and Friday. Thursday for the students, Friday for um, the adults and kids. We took last week off because of break and stuff like that, but we will resume this week. So, and if you are not a part of a circle and you want to be, if you just want to hop in, you're more than welcome to do that. We have great conversations. So here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. As soon as I'm done talking, I'm actually going to be reading the scripture text for today. Claude's going to come up and communicate from the Bible, and then we're going to respond to the word by singing. So let's pray together. God, we're so thankful that you're in the room today. 
We're thankful that we can gather around your presence and gather around the truth of who you are. That no matter what we bring into this room, whether it's hardship or, or sadness, or maybe it's great joy, that we can all be here unified under the fact um, that, we're, that we're here to hear from you. And we want to do that openly and excitedly. And so, Spirit, would you just give us ears to hear um, what you're saying to your church today? Have your way in this place. We just want you to take over because otherwise it's just, it's just words. But with your anointing, um, there's something transformative that can happen. And, and that's what we really want today. So uh, we just ask that you'll be with us and move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture text for today, I'll move right into that, is Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Um, if you want to follow along on the screens, you can follow along on the YouVersion app or in your journals. If you don't have an Ephesians journal, there's some in the back for free. Feel free to take one. Uh, but let's read together from the ESV. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Amen. Thanks, Meredith. As was already mentioned, we're wrapping up the Essential Series today. That's been a great journey. Um, today's message is entitled Community. So it's essential that we have community, that we function in community. And uh, as we wrap up with the conclusion of Chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Paul has spent the first two chapters establishing kind of a doctrinal foundation of essentials and that will continue to be built on as we go deeper in to uh, Ephesians in the weeks ahead. And I'm really excited for the next series beginning next week, so you won't want to miss out on that first week. Um, when I think about excited, I can think of a whole mess of things that I've been excited about, and that is how I'm going to connect into the story. But it was just a really weak connection, and so I thought I would just make it obvious and stupid. Um, um, the, uh, I remember in particular one time I was, I was really, really excited, uh, to go canoeing. Um, I had taken some classes on how to canoe and how to, uh, flip a canoe when it flips over, like while treading water and how to empty a canoe and how to fish from a canoe and all these different things that you can do from a canoe. Who knew? <laughs> kind of rhymed. <clears throat> anyway, this should be fun. Um, the, uh, the thing that I was really excited for this in particular day was we were going to learn how to dive off of a canoe that you can actually uh, get on the, the bow or the point of a, of a canoe and dive from it without it flipping over. And so there were a bunch of us that were taking this class and we went out into this, um, it was a Adirondack lake. And so we go out into this lake and the, the instructor is being really cautious and saying, okay, let's just wait until everybody's settled. We're going to give you instructions. And if you are too over the top here, you're going to, you know, flip your canoe. So just make sure that we explain how to do this. And so one of the kids is like, we're going to learn to dive off of a canoe, right? He's like, yes, that's what today's about. We're going to learn to dive off the canoe. He's like, oh, so excited, man. So excited. And so he's just like talking and he's just kind of that guy, you know what I mean? Like the one that's just like talking, like, you know, what would be awesome is if you were quiet so we could all learn. Um, but for some reason you keep talking. And so he just continued to talk and the instructor's like, all right, quiet down on the boats, quiet down. And so he's giving instruction on what to do, what not to do. And all of a sudden, uh, he says, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead. And so he said, we're going to go ahead. And all of a sudden this kid jumps up thinking that he's just been given instructions to go ahead. And so he just goes to the bow of the front of this canoe and everybody's like, no, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop, stop. And he just jumps off the front of it and this canoe just kicks and it flips and everybody in it gets soaking wet and stuff gets lost. It sinks to the bottom of the lake. Everybody was furious. I'm kind of smiling because I just remember how enraged everybody was at him. And they're like, what is your problem? He's like, what? He said we could go ahead. He's like, no, I did not say that. It's like, you weren't listening to anything. You did absolutely everything wrong. <laughs> it reminds me of that, uh, that movie where he says, you know, we are all now dumber having heard your answer. We award you no points <laughs> and may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, it was that type of, a, of kind of an environment where everyone's like, no, that's not what happened. What is your problem? And he's like, what? I wanted to dive. And um, I'm, the reason why I share that story, and I really probably could have 
shared several of them in context because the question I want to ask you as we move into the text is this. Why do we sometimes think our decisions won't affect others? Why do we sometimes think our decisions won't affect others? We probably do things like this a million different times. We're definitely on the recipient end of it where it seems like someone's just acting on their own behalf. They want to do something and so they just do it as if no one else in the world's going to be impacted by it. The answer to the question is actually a little embarrassing. That's a little bit embarrassing. I want to submit to you that we sometimes think our decisions won't affect others because we as humans are rather selfish and individualistic. Like to just be kind of frank, we aren't thinking about them. In that moment, we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about what it is that we want. We're kind of consumed with self. And so if we want to do it, then we're going to do it. Now, before you get kind of too defensive, because um, I'm sure that there's a lot of considerate and, you know, very respectable people in the room today, realize that I said sometimes, sometimes. Here's why. We're actually raised to be considerate of others. Get this. We have to be taught not to be selfish and self-centered, right? Right? Like, think about that. You have to teach a child to share. No, 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 share. Like, mine. Like, no, share. <laughs> We're actually born caring about ourselves. We have to be taught. We have to be raised to be considerate of others. We have to be taught not to be selfish and self-centered. The human fallen condition is hardwired towards self. We work for what we want. And so, obviously, we suffer the consequences of our actions. How many times have we heard that, too? Like, well, you, you make a decision, you're going to suffer the consequences of it. But here's the problem. We don't live in a vacuum. So our actions, as much as we might think and want them to only impact and affect ourselves, the reality is they affect others. The decisions that we make have a ripple effect. And so why do we sometimes think our decisions won't affect others? The answer is, we're too focused on what we want. Noble or otherwise, we're too focused on what we want to consider how our decisions sometimes affect others. We're so consumed with what it is that we want in that moment. Like, I just want to dive off the end of this canoe. The kid was just obsessed with it. To the point where he even mishears what's being directed and just goes for it. And everybody suffers the consequences. Things lost to the bottom of the lake we'll never see again. People treading water having to learn how to flip that canoe back over. The ripple effect is kind of endless, but in the moment, we just want what we want, and so we take action. Get this. We were created to live in community. We were created to live with others, but our fallen condition, sin, bends the affections of our heart towards self. So we have this, this desire to care about ourselves, and yet we were created by God to live in community. And so it's kind of this, this dual tension all the time that we want what we want, but the reality is what we want has a ripple effect on everyone we live in community with. It's so often about what we want. Now, some make self-centered decisions. There's no question. As human beings, some of us just make self-centered decisions, while others... If you're maybe more of a reserved person and you're like, I don't do that. Like, I'm more of a background person. I'm really cautious. I don't impose my will on anyone. Well, if that's you, then you're filled with anger and resentment because you restrain your self-centered decisions. You actually hold them back as you watch other people go to the forefront and just seemingly not care about the decisions that they make. You see, the tension is actually exactly the same. Acted on or not, we have a desired outcome that we believe benefits us most. And so we either take the action as if we don't care who's affected, or we sit angry and almost resenting others as we restrain our action. You see, living in community can be really messy. Shocking, right? <laughs> Living in community can be really messy and difficult. And yet, it's the most fulfilling way to live because it's what we were created for. This essential need for community and connection is what today's text is about. And so I'm gonna reread verse 19. It says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens 
with the saints and members of the household of God. So the verse starts off, so then. That's because it's connected to the previous pericope. It's, it's kind of jumping off there. It says the implications are basically the outflow of the peace that we discussed last week is that we are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, we need to understand these terms in context. <laughs> You're like, stranger danger, aliens from Mars. That's all I know. We're no longer stranger dangers and we should stay away from Martians if they're real. That's not what it's talking about. Strangers. Strangers in that context meant they had no rights or privileges. They were foreigners. So the closest that we kind of have that we can understand the word strangers in their day in modern time is a tourist. A tourist. So a tourist that's traveling would, would equate to what Paul is talking about in the context of strangers. Their safety in that country is only guaranteed if the country that they're from is at peace. So there's some countries that we as United States citizens, if you're a citizen of the U.S., we're told maybe we shouldn't go to right now because there's tension between the countries. But there's ones that we are allies with. And in those countries, for Paul's terminology, we would be considered strangers, citizens of another nation. Aliens were non-citizens that were given what's called customary privileges. And they were treated essentially as neighbors. So in modern language, the best illustration that we could use to understand what is meant by aliens is uh, someone that is living in the U.S. on a residence visa. Okay, So someone that is here as a legal alien. All right, So they're here, they have a visa to be here. So they're not from here, but they live here. And they might be your neighbor. All right, So the text is saying... As a Christian, and I realize that we have all different types of people in the room and listening before and after, not before, that would be incredible. If you could listen to my message before, I don't know. <laughs> uh, those that are listening after the fact uh, or watching after the fact is what I meant, um, that may not consider yourself a Christ follower. And so that's okay. You're welcome here. I'm going to speak to Christians in context and it might even help you understand uh, what it is to be a Christ follower and some of what it is that, uh, that we believe should uh, how you should function as a Christ follower at Centerway. So um, you get to be kind of a fly in the wall as I address Christians from time to time as we move through the text. As a Christian, you're no longer a temporary foreigner or a semi-permanent alien. What the scripture is saying is you are citizens, which means you have full rights and privileges. Now, that sounds great. At face value, it's rather confusing. And the reason why it's rather confusing is because the people in Ephesus, as well as most of us, if not all of us that are here today, aren't foreigners in the land that we find ourselves. So it was even more so for the people that were the original hearers of this text. They would have most likely been from the very community that they were born in. So they're literally citizens of the community they're in. So what in the world does this mean? Why would Paul even be talking about the idea that they're strangers or aliens? It means this. At the point of salvation, Jesus' followers, then and now, become strangers and aliens spiritually. Spiritually, we become strangers and aliens. Suddenly, when the gospel awakens our hearts, we realize the emptiness of what we used to pursue it's like we no longer fit in the world we were in. You see, because stuff is all of a sudden just stuff. And the money and the relationships that never actually delivered the joy and the peace that we were searching after are now only found in Christ. We see that what it is that we used to live for was so empty and so our heart is awoken by something else and suddenly the circles that we used to be in, it seems like we just don't fit. The worries and the cares of this world pair in comparison to the peace, the joy, and the sense of purpose found only in the gospel. That which alienates us from the world is what joins believers together. A commonality. The presence of God. And now there's some people that take this to an extreme and say, that's right, you're not of this world. So quick, us four and no more. Like what? I mean, like let's just let's just huddle together. Talk about how weird and scary this whole world is. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. Let's just pray that Jesus comes soon. Please, God, come soon. I'm so glad that I'm with the four of you. But we're called to actually influence the world. 
So it's not about running from the world. It's about realizing that we don't belong here and that we're called to impact it for the glory of God. You see, for a Christ follower today, it should mean that we live differently. Not because of willpower that we conjure up, like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm a Christian now. I'm going to just pull up my bootstraps and be more moral. I'm going to stop doing this and stop doing that until I start doing it again, and then I'm going to feel guilty, and then I'm going to say I won't again. I'm not talking about willpower or behavior modification. It's about a deep realization of the truth of the gospel, and because of the affections of our hearts being directed towards the Lord himself, it's literally reorienting every aspect of our lives. We're different. Scripture says set apart. That's the definition of holiness, being set apart. It's nothing you can conjure up. For the Christ follower, back then, it meant literally no longer being accepted by your family. In a deeply close-knit, family-only community, suddenly you're on the outside looking in. That's what Paul's talking about. He's acknowledging the fact that now they are spiritually strangers and aliens in the world that they've grown up in. And he's telling them to rest assured that there's a a citizenship that they're now being connected to. You see, for them, they were, in effect, turning their back on the little G gods of their family, of their friends. You see, in Ephesus, they quite literally worshipped little idols. Literally. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 19, it records a silversmith in Ephesus that is furious at Paul. He's furious at Paul because Paul is leading people to the way, which is what the early church was called. And so they're actually having their heart awoken to the truth of the gospel. And as a result, they're no longer purchasing silver idols. And so this dude's like, hey, you're cutting into my livelihood. And so he gets all these other people that build idols and he starts telling them, listen, the problem is Paul. And so all of Ephesus actually becomes a huge riot. And it turns into a big deal where they actually hide Paul and he ultimately moves on from Ephesus. But it's because people were coming to know the Lord at such vast numbers in Ephesus that the idol makers were losing money. You see, it was very obvious then. But it's exactly the same today. It's the same. I mean, I don't think that you'll go into a home and find a little silver idol in the corner. But it's similar in the sense that some of us say we're Christians, but we actually give to the idol of sports. We give to the idol of entertainment, to material possessions, to future financial stability. We give to all these things. We can't turn over our dollars fast enough before we give our time, our talent, and our treasure to Jesus. I'm sorry if you don't like that. I mean, I don't like it. It convicts me too. It convicts me because I have to consider what does it look like to to put things that are not inherently evil into their proper place. I'm not saying that those things are bad things. I'm not saying that we need to, you know, quit all the sports teams, you know, shut off all your TVs and, uh, or nobody even probably looks at TVs, their phones and iPads and all the other things that they look at. I'm not saying that we have to run away from these things. I'm saying that we turn to these things before we turn to Jesus. Those things are our ultimate things. We care about sports more than we care about the things of God. We care about our workplace. We care about our hobbies. We care about our sports. We care about all these things before we care about God. We will sacrifice for those things, but we don't often sacrifice for the community in this space. You see, our society has made it easier to worship idols. Because it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear and you're like, hey, dad, yeah, what's up with the little silver dude in the corner? Oh, yeah, I just kind of keep it around. I don't know. Do you think we should get rid of it now that we're Christians? Yeah, dad, I think it's time to get rid of Charlie. You know, like, I don't know why his name is Charlie, <laughs> but it is, trust me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's pretty obvious when you just need to carry something out of the house and be like, okay, we don't worship this thing anymore. It's way different when the idols are actually woven into your life. When all of a sudden it's like, oh, but shouldn't we do that first? Isn't that most important? You see, we accumulate and we store up as if tomorrow is promised. 
We live as if tomorrow is promised. That, that the goal is to, to think about the future, to plan for the future, to consider the future. But what if today is our last? Then what did we live for? I know that's morbid. I know on a lot of levels it's morbid. And I'm not trying to like scare you or, or manipulate you in any way. I'm talking about you considering how it is you're living your one and only life. You see, have you lived for what? If today was your end, what is the legacy of your life? What is it that you have given for first? What Paul is saying is actually one of the themes of the whole Bible. Spiritually, we are not home. We're not home. We're living in a world fractured by sin that has completely different priorities. And so we should not be surprised by that. <laughs> we should not be surprised that the world is fractured, that they make really poor decisions at every turn. It should not be shocking. And I want to tell you the Christian's role scripturally is not to police the world's morality. It's to live on mission to influence the world with gospel truth together. You see, it's really easy to point a finger, say, listen, you're a sinner acting like a sinner. No joke. Well, you should stop. Why? Because I said so. And that puts me in some type of moral authority. But more and more, we don't live in a society that even acknowledges moral authority because people that attempt to position themselves in moral authority are just as broken as the person next to you. We're all sinners saved by grace. And so if we live in mission to influence others with the gospel together, then listen, Christian, this world as it stands is not our home. Why do we live as if it is? You can say it's because you want something, right? That's the easy low-hanging fruit. I want something, that's why. I want it my way. But here's the truth. Others are affected by your decisions. Like it or not, others are affected by your decisions. Coworkers, classmates, your kids, your spouse if you have one, siblings, parents, those you influence are being discipled to worship. Worship means assign worth. They're being discipled to worship, to assign worth to what you do. You're discipling everybody you come in contact with. That should unsettle you. That should be disturbing. You're assigning worth to something in your life. You are worshiping something. And those around you are watching what it is you're worshiping. If all you do is talk about sports, if all it is that you're consumed with is money, consumed with entertainment, consumed with work, then don't be surprised to see those closest to you worship and prioritize those things those lesser things. We are a product of those we follow. Are you following Jesus? Are you influencing the world or is it influencing you? That one's so, so much more profound because we can actually, in an attempt to not have the world influence us, we can actually function the way the world functions and in turn actually be influenced by it. Are you influencing the world or is it influencing you? I'm currently reading a book. It's called Pilgrims and Priests. It's about missiology, for lack of a better word. And there's a compelling quote about the early church. I'm going to kind of just pluck it out of context and share it with you because uh, it would bear too much ex explanation. You'll get the point. The early church, it says, and of course, they shared the tidings of great joy they had heard. They gossiped the gospel. I love that. When I read it, it was like I highlighted, underlined it. Like, oh my gosh, they gossiped the gospel. Think about that. Are you so moved and transformed by the gospel that it saturates every aspect of your life? That it's literally something you can't help but talk about. Now, I don't mean manufactured and socially awkward. I grew up around some really well-meaning, manufactured, socially awkward Christians that were like, oh, I'll tell you what, <laughs> glory to God, I made it to church today. Like, was there a question that you couldn't make it to church today? Like, I don't know. You never know what the devil wants to do. Like, 
pretty sure the devil didn't care if you made it out of your house today. Like I just, and, and so it was like everything was over-spiritualized. Everything was kind of a socially awkward thing. I'll give you a better example of how that kind of permeates our life. My dad did not manufacture his love for the dolphins. He grew up in Miami. And so he was Miami Floridian to a T. And so he absolutely loved the dolphins. And here's the deal. He assigned worth to them in such a natural way that it influenced me. And so all of a sudden I couldn't help but like care about how the dolphins were doing. And so now I'm in this awkward place where I'm born and raised in upstate New York and I'm a Dolphins fan. Like, we are few and far between. But he essentially, for lack of a better word, is like he discipled me in becoming a Miami Dolphins fan. What's interesting is I had a friend in high school that I said, oh yeah, I'm a Dolphins fan. Like, oh yeah, me too. I'm like, you are? Why? Because my dad's a Bills fan? Excuse me? He's like, yeah. And all he does is talk about the bills, the bills, the bills. And he just shoves the bills down my face. So I figured, who do the bills hate, dad? He's like, I don't know, stupid dolphins. He's like, that's my team. I'm like, what? He's like, oh yeah. You're just shoving the bills down my throat. So I was like, forget that. I'm going to basically cheer for your mortal enemy. Wow. Why? Because there was this socially awkward, this manipulation, this pushing. You will be a bills fan. You will be a bills fan. We do that in Christendom. Love Jesus, love Jesus. There's nothing authentic about it. It's socially awkward. And so we have people just repel it. Like, why in the world would I want to be a whack job like you? Like, no thanks. I'll push away from the table. I'm not ready to be, you know, team Satan, but I'm not sure I care about the whole church thing as much as you do. What's interesting is that more important than my dad's love for the dolphins was his love for God. And so there were countless times that I would wake up early and make my way into the kitchen to find him with a cup of coffee and his Bible open at the table the day before you could do devotions on a phone. (laughs) It was paper. It was crazy. But there were moments where I caught him encountering with the Lord and it marked me. He didn't impose it. He didn't shove it on me. No, he discipled me. He discipled me in a way that when I had tough decisions, he would talk about what the word of God says. And he would unapologetically go to that. But it wasn't some type of ramming down my throat. It was the fact that the gospel had so much influenced his life. And let me tell you, my dad's not a perfect guy. Not by a stretch, but he loves the Lord. And he couldn't help but love the Lord in front of me. He couldn't help but love the Lord in the regular rhythms of his life. And he had a rather amazing encounter with the Lord that caused him to to redirect things in his life. To just say, I'm done with that. Why? Because the gospel has awoken my heart. And I just sat on the sidelines, blown away. Blown away at the way that the the Lord convicted my father's heart, but more importantly, the way my father responded to that conviction. The point is this. The gospel changes your identity. And it should change your worldview and your priorities. Otherwise, it's just some plastic version of something you're trying to conjure up and shove down other people's throats. And I'll tell you right now, they don't respond well to that. Spiritually, we are citizens and members of the household of God. As Christ followers, it means that we have full rights and full protections. As a citizen of heaven, it means you're never alone. That in a world that seems to have different rules and different priorities, that there is still a group, a citizenship of people that are linking arms and saying, no, our heart has been awoken. Our heart has been awoken to something greater, and so I won't lay down my life for lesser things. You're not alone. Verses 20 through 21 say this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Christ as cornerstone. Now, this is kind of lost on us in current day because cornerstones are now something that we will kind of place in a building as part of its dedication, often when it's completed. And so we'll kind of place it in there and celebrate it's built, uh, the fact that it's built. But in that day, the cornerstone was the first stone laid. It was the one that all others were measured by. For a foundation to hold, listen, 
It had to be in line with the cornerstone. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, are you living in line with the gospel? Are you living in line with the gospel? And you know what I love is if, if you read the text, if you continue to read scripture, you'll find that there was a point in the early church where Peter was actually favoring Jews. It was almost racist, for lack of a better word. And, and Paul calls him out and says, listen, live your life in line with the gospel. He literally says that to the apostle Peter. He calls him out. Why? Because they were a community of people that were living for something greater. And so he just challenged him. Listen, you're lessening. You're living for something lower. Are you living in line with the gospel? If we stand back for a moment and look at the progression of this text, we'll see something that's a little more profound than we realize at face value. It says that we are fellow citizens, that we're members of God's household, and that we're pieces of a temple. So citizenship, nation, members of a household, family, pieces of a temple, God's dwelling place. Do you see it? There's closer proximity to God and to one another. What Paul is talking about is saying, listen, you belong, but it goes deeper than that. And so to use an example, you might say, I go to Centerway and that's great. And I love that people would connect with Centerway, but that's a starting point. It's not where it is that we should remain. Like, oh, I attend. That's where it's easy to attend while worshiping other things. But we're called to go deeper in relationship and community. To go from citizens to members of God's household family. You can't fool family. There's transparency and vulnerability and it's messy, but you can't fool family. There was a a card game that I learned in college We used to call it Bluff. It has a more crude name than that. Um, Some people just call it Bull, to give you an idea. And so uh, it's a game where basically you learn to deceive everyone around the table. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was so fun at college because you you're sitting there and there's all these people that you barely know and you're just lying to them and it's working and it's super entertaining. And then there's people that are really bad liars and they lose. Kind of counterintuitive, right? <laughs> Welcome to Bible college. How good are you at deception? So I learned this card game. I went back uh, during break and was telling my family about it. We were all so excited. This is so fun. Let's play it. It was not fun to play with family because we all know each other. So it was like, the, I would say, you know, you're supposed to lie. So you lie. And my mom's like, look at me. L- look at me. Now, bluff. I'm like, what the heck? Like, this isn't fun. Like, mom, this isn't fun that you like know us so well that you tell we're lying. You're lying, lying, bluff, whatever it is you say. Nope. Our sisters, like all, it, it, was, it just wasn't fun. I was like, this game is terrible. Why? Because we couldn't fool each other. Why? Because we live with each other. We know our lying face. One of the things that I love to say to my kids is that's your lying voice. <laughs> they turn the table and sometimes try to use it on me. It's great. The, the fact is this, we're called to do life together. As Christians, we eat together, we play together. For those that set up and tear down, we work together. It's not about events and programs. You see, events and programs, they're easy to attend and they're easy to stop attending. But we're talking about doing life together. It means we laugh together, we cry together, we pray together, we walk life's journey together. That's what God's idea, that's what Jesus' idea of the local church was. It's not a place you simply attend and and that attracts the masses, but it's groups of people linking arms and saying, let's go through the hard together. I had friends in college. We had um, seven people in our apartment, so I had six roommates at the time. We had all been invited there. We were... um, five of us were underclassmen. Two of them were seniors. And so all of us had a connection to one of those two seniors. And then something happened at the end of our first year, the seniors graduated. And so the two of them graduated and it was just five of us there. And I remember thinking, man, this is going to be so fun. Like we're going to get to kind of know each other a little bit better and uh, just have a blast. And um, what was interesting is that everything was different. People were different. All of a sudden, when these two seniors weren't there, there were variations of us that stopped functioning. I'll give you an example. One of the guys loved to wrestle. Um, He was a tremendous athlete, uh, soccer and baseball, not a wrestler. 
but he just loved to wrestle. And so what that looked like is you had to walk into the apartment cautious at any point because he would just jump out of anywhere and literally tackle you. And then it was on. You had to wrestle until submission before MMA existed. (laughs) And so we would wrestle until you'd have to tap out. And what was funny is some of our greatest memories were watching others of us wrestle with, with this guy. And all of a sudden, he's graduated and it's not happening anymore. None of us hide anywhere. None of us wrestle anymore. Like we never wrestled again. And so what I'm saying is this. All of a sudden, when these two people weren't there, part of who we were was no longer present. They came back and visited and all of a sudden it was like that part would awaken and we would see other parts of our roommates come alive. You know what I'm talking about? The first time I experienced this was when my wife and I got married and we moved to New York. And it was like, there was a part of her that was slightly different, but then when we would go back and visit, it would come alive. Why? Because she's with her family. So there's part of her family that awakens part of who she is. We were meant to live in community. Community is required for us to be fully known and truly known. When we're, when we're interacting with other people, they reveal different parts of who we are. And listen, we actually know Jesus more in community. We can know Jesus more fully in community. It's why we're such proponents of circles and why it's such an important part of our discipleship strategy. Because we can be more fully known. And I realize that it's a vulnerable environment on some level, if you're willing to let yourself be known. But Jesus is more fully known. I I have countless examples of times that we sat in a circle talking about the application and all of a sudden someone shares what it is that God spoke to them. And I'm like, that's incredible. I, I never considered that. Like I've spent hours with a preaching and teaching team talking about this text, prepared a message, communicated the message, had my personal application and you're saying something I had not even considered. The Lord has awoken something in their life and all of us in the circle benefit from that community. We're better knowing Jesus in community. There's parts of who God is that we can never experience in solitude. This is not a commercial for circles. It's a commercial for community, for the reality that we can experience community even in serving, that when we put our hands in the circle and say, okay, I'm gonna serve, that we have conversations while we're doing random things and we're more fully known. But if, we're just, if we just attend and go and attend and go, then why wouldn't we continue to worship the things of this world? Get this, if we keep our spiritual faults and our spiritual struggles, as well as our joys and our victories private, then we're missing out on the fullness of life and the fullness of God's presence. We need to connect more deeply. Verse 22 says, in him, meaning the Lord, in Jesus, you also are what? Being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That God's presence inhabits the praises of his people. That we are better when we are together. That in context, the evidence of the power of God in your life is connected to the degree in which you are connected to gospel-centered community. When people say, oh, I don't need church. I can just, you know, I can just experience God on my own. Bluff. (laughs) Bull. It's not true. What you're saying is I don't want to risk the vulnerability and the truth. I don't want to be fully known. It's too scary for me. But the text is saying the evidence of the power of God in your life is connected to the degree in which you are connected in gospel-centered community. Gospel-centered community is not optional for the Christ follower. It's simply not. We were created for gospel-centered community so that we could in turn reach our spheres of influence with that gospel. We do life together But it's not even about the togetherness that we experience. It's about the mission that we're on. It's greater than even us connecting. That as we connect, we become a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that that moves us to reach those that are lost, that are settling for a lesser version of their one and only life. That they could be brought in to this community of believers and find hope and joy and peace and purpose the same way that we have. Church is not about a get out of hell free card. If you've perverted it to that, then you're lessening what the gospel is. Jesus, the son of God, became an alien 
and a stranger. He was homeless and alone when he died the death that you and I deserve so that we could be fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Jesus did the work on the cross so that we could experience the fullness of gospel-centered community, that we could live life to the fullest. It's essential to realize that our spiritual journey is directly connected to community, like it or not. So the degree in which you risk being known is the degree in which you'll live life to the fullest. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so I want to challenge you with this question. I want you to ask yourself this. How can I connect more deeply with this body of believers? Now, if you're watching or listening and you're connected to another church, this this goal is not to try to pull you from your church or anything like that. I don't believe in that. This is about wherever it is that you worship, whatever it is that, that you say, listen, this is my community of believers. How can I connect more deeply with this body of believers? If you would, just bow your heads, and if you'd like, you can close your eyes. The worship team's just gonna make their way forward. And as they do, I want you to consider what this application could look like for you. So I don't want you to be distracted as they make their way forward. For some of us today, we get connected more deeply by beginning to be a part of this community of believers. It means surrendering our life to Jesus. Stop living for and worshiping lesser things. And so for you, maybe today it looks like you saying, all right, I want Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life. I don't want to be a spectator to the community that's available. I want to live in community. If that's you, it begins by praying a simple prayer, acknowledging that you're a sinner, Asking Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. If that's you and you're praying that prayer in whatever way you want, and it's not about repeating specific words or anything like that, but as you pray that prayer of surrender, if that's you today, I'd love to have a conversation with you, either in this space at the conclusion, at the table in the next steps area, or if you're watching or listening later, you can reach out on our website or via email. We'd love to walk along with you in the decision that you've made. For others of us, if you've crossed that line of salvation already, if you're in relationship with God, then I want to challenge you. What does it look like to connect more deeply? Maybe it means serving. Maybe it means serving. And this isn't about a consumer environment because we're contributors, not consumers. And so it's just about us putting our hands in the circle and say, yeah, my gifts are from God anyway, so how can I give my best to the Lord with my talent? time. For others of us, maybe it means signing up for a circle. We're in session right now, but you can join our circle. You can jump in and risk being known. For others of you, maybe it means spiritual coaching. Just saying, I want, a law, I want somebody to walk alongside me for, for eight weeks. Learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. For others of us, maybe we've done those things, but we haven't really connected to Centerway. We haven't connected to this body of believers. And so for you, I would encourage you to to fill out a Clarity Workshop application. Maybe it's time to take that next step, to be water baptized. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but I want to challenge you to connect more deeply with this body of believers. It's what you were created for. For others of you, you might say, listen, I have a checkbox next to all those. So what does it look like for you to start influencing others with the gospel instead of being influenced by their false gospel? You see, every day we're influenced by false gospels, by lesser things. And so what does it look like for for you to maybe say, I need to live on mission. I need to connect more deeply with this body of believers so that I can reach those that are far from God. I need somebody to communicate the gospel to me, to challenge me, to maybe introduce a friend to, or maybe go out two by two and influence those that are far from God in our influence circle, our spheres of influence. I don't know what your application is, but I want to challenge you to take a step. 
Don't just check a box of attendance. Risk being known in community. Let's pray together before we respond. Heavenly Father, we declare ourselves available. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal what our next step needs to be. Challenge those areas of our life that we want to we wanna withdraw from. We want to protect. Maybe give the right answer or the God answer. But I pray that your spirit would awaken our hearts to risk being known so that we could more deeply know you. For your glory and honor and also for our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Just stand with us. I'm just going to sing three songs, go right along with the message. So let's let these lyrics be your prayer and your worship together. I worship a holy God.